0: Back on the retweak quickly. It's clear what he was trying to say, wasn't it? I think the president just wants everything to be investigated. Really? Is that what he wants, Kellyanne? He just wants
1: everything to be well, investigated. I don't know why I came here tonight. Got it. I got the feeling that something right. You can do. I'm so scared in case I fall off
2: my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you Oh yeah Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you
1: From the Pacifica Radio Network in Los Angeles This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA 98.7 in Santa Barbara 93.7 in San Diego 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake Also in California In Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP. Grand Rapids, WPRR. New Orleans, WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas' KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis-St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for your listening convenience. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Nicole Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk Blanketing. Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. An all-around swell fellow, says me from BradBlog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another. Oh, I'm sure it'll be a delightful, thrilling episode of the Bradcast.
3: Well, maybe yeah, we'll <laughs> delightful. See. Ah, it's a lot of bad stuff happened. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. Okay. Let me th- also thanks, by the way, to Nicole Sandler for sitting in for us on our uh, last episode of the broadcast. Always much appreciated. And so, yeah, as uh, Des sort of suggests that, you know, I think I've got no choice here for a number of reasons today to discuss the death of. Sexual predator Jeffrey Epstein in a federal prison facility over the weekend as he awaited trial on uh, new sex trafficking charges of underage girls. I don't want to talk about it, but I think I have to. Uh, We will be aided at least in part in that effort in a bit by the Marshall Project's Andrew Cohen, But first, the uh, Trump administration has started the week with more moves to break America and the planet as we know it. So I want to hit a couple of those news items very quickly here in hopes that they don't get completely lost in Trump's endless, never-ending day-to-day anxiety-inducing manipulations and, and damage and havoc. That he is doing to our nation. We'll start here. The Trump administration is moving forward with one of its most aggressive steps yet to restrict legal immigration in the U.S., denying green cards to many migrants who use Medicaid, food stamps, housing vouchers or other forms of public assistance. Federal law already requires those seeking to become permanent residents and gain legal uh, status to prove that they will not be a burden to the U.S., a public charge, as it's called. But the new rules detail a much broader range of programs that could disqualify them from receiving such status, according to AP. While much of the attention of the administration's overhaul of the nation's immigration systems has so far focused on Trump's efforts to crack down on so-called illegal immigrations, though I should note clearly here that it is not Illegal to cross the border and turn oneself in to seek asylum, as is the case with most of the t- the detainees that you've been seeing and reading about for months now. The ones being held in deplorable conditions that we would not hold actual criminals found guilty of crimes in or even criminals of war in. No, those you've seen have not been found uh, to have violated any laws. But this new change announced by the Trump administration on Monday now targets people who entered the U.S. legally with a visa and who are now seeking permanent status. This is part of an effort to move the U.S. to a system that focuses on immigrant skills instead of Emphasizing the reunification of families, so I guess it's a good thing that Melania Trump's parents were allowed in before this change was made. U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services will now weigh public assistance along with other factors uh, such as education, household income and health to determine whether to grant legal status. The acting director of the uh, Citizenship and Immigration Services, Ken Cuccinelli, said was because we want to see people coming to this country who are self-sufficient. That's a core principle of the American dream, you know, like those huddled masses yearning to breathe free who came here without a dime in their pockets for hundreds of years, hoping to become self-sufficient someday in America. But now, if you can't uh, prove that you already are, it seems the Trump administration wants nothing to do with you. And that means you cannot reunite with your children or your parents or your siblings who may already be citizens in this country under this new uh, rule. You know, the American dream.
3: Family values.
1: So, yes, that's one thing that is going on today. And never mind that. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. If you're poor, we don't want you here. Uh, according to uh, AP, by the way, uh, an analysis of census data finds that low income immigrants who are not citizens use Medicaid, food aid, cash assistance and supplemental security income or SSI at a lower rate than comparable low income native born adults do. That's also true of the crime rate among uh, immigrants as well. It's lower than it is among uh, the native born Urjadu, a former U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services chief counsel, says without a single change in the law by Congress, the Trump public charge rules mean that uh, mean many more U.S. citizens are being and will be denied the opportunity to live together in the U.S. with their spouses, their children and their parents. These are not just small changes, he says. They are big changes with enormous consequences for U.S. citizens. This new rule comes uh, just over a week after 22 people were killed and dozens injured in that shooting in El Paso, where the shooter told authorities that he targeted Mexicans. His language about stopping an invasion on our southern border echoes what has been repeated endlessly by Donald Trump over many years as both a candidate and as a president. And it's obvious that this is not about illegal immigration so-called, but, you know, just about keeping certain people out of the country. But not satisfied with harming U.S. citizens and immigrants, Trump is also targeting species that are likely to be extinct forever within just a few years. Also, that his uh, corporate campaign funders can still uh, make even more profits. The Trump administration finalized major changes on Monday to the way that it enforces the Landmark Endangered Species Act. A move, it says, will reduce regulatory burden. You know, it's a pain to keep all of those uh, species from being wiped out by us humans.
3: Especially if they cost industry an extra dollar. Yeah, or so. exactly. That's, you know, profits, man.
1: According to critics, this uh, will drive more creatures to extinction, which is forever, by the way. The administration rule, again, without any laws actually being changed by Congress, will overhaul the way the federal government handles protections for plants and animals at risk of extinction. The Endangered Species Act is credited with helping to save uh, the bald eagle. The California condor, scores of other animals and plants from extinction.
3: Grizzlies, humpback whales,
1: all all kinds of species. All since that uh, well-known lefty uh, corporate-hating socialist, President Richard Nixon, signed the law into into action back in 1973. But the uh, Trump administration says these changes will make regulations more efficient and less burdensome. But at least 10 attorneys general joined conservation groups in protesting an early draft of the changes, saying they put more wildlife at greater risk of extinction. The final version of the rule reportedly has few changes from that draft version that was released last year, including ending blanket protection for animals newly deemed threatened and following and allowing federal authorities for the first time to consider the economic cost of protecting a particular species. So allow me to rephrase what the AP just reported there. Ending protections for animals newly deemed threatened. Well, that largely means removing those that were added to the list for protection by the Obama administration. Got to get rid of uh, those species right off the bat and allowing federal authorities To consider the economic costs of protecting a species, well, that means that if American corporations can make more money by allowing a species to die out forever, well, that's just the price of American capitalism, I guess. These uh, even higher profits aren't going to make themselves after all, at least not without wiping a few species off the planet forever. Uh, And then there's this another change could let authorities disregard impacts from climate change, one of the largest threats to habitat, according to the conservation group. So never mind that a species which was not endangered before is endangered now due to the various threats that they now face under our climate crisis. That should simply be ignored now under this new rule when deciding what species need protections. Conservationists, as you have guessed by now, have promised legal action. Drew Caputo of Earth Justice says this effort to gut protections for endangered and threatened species has the same two features of most Trump administration actions. It's a gift to industry and it's illegal. We'll see the Trump administration in court. Uh, this after uh, just weeks after a U.N. report warned in May that more than one million plants and animals globally face extinction, some within decades, owning to human development, climate change and other threats. The report called the rate of species loss a record.
3: Hopefully these lawsuits will be able to stop this before we lose any species. But with the stolen Supreme Court, it's not exactly sure it will hold. And hey, guess what? elections have consequences
1: indeed they do quick break and we are back with a story that boy i really don't want to cover but feel like i gotta jeffrey epstein right after this i'm brad friedman this is your bradcast all right welcome back it's the bradcast brad friedman from bradblog.com so as of last friday night according to the new york times in a protective housing unit of the federal jail in lower manhattan jeffrey epstein The financier accused of trafficking girls, including underage girls for sex, was alone in his cell just 11 days after he had been taken off a suicide watch. That morning, thousands of documents from a civil suit had been unsealed and released to the public, providing lurid accounts accusing Epstein of sexually abusing scores of young girls. Epstein was supposed to have been checked by two guards in the protective housing unit every 30 minutes, but that procedure was not followed that night. A law enforcement official with knowledge of his detention told The New York Times, in addition, because Epstein may have tried to commit suicide less than three weeks earlier, he was supposed to have had another inmate in his cell, three officials told the paper. But the jail had recently transferred his cellmate, and allowed Epstein to be housed alone. That decision also violated the jail's procedures, according to two officials. At 6.30 a.m. on Saturday morning, guards doing their morning rounds found Epstein dead in his cell. He had apparently hanged himself. The disclosures about these uh, seeming failures in Epstein's detention at the Federal uh, Metropolitan Correctional Center in Manhattan deepened questions about... Epstein's death and are now said to be the focus of official inquiries by the Justice Department and the FBI. The uh, Federal Bureau of Prisons immediately came under criticism over the weekend for not keeping Epstein under a suicide watch after he had been found in his cell on July 23 with injuries that suggested he had tried to kill himself. Uh, The law enforcement official with knowledge of the investigation said that when the decision was made to remove Epstein from Suicide Watch, the jail informed the Justice Department that Epstein would have a cellmate and that a guard would look into his cell every 30 minutes. But apparently that was not done. The city's chief medical examiner, Dr. Barbara Sampson, announced on Sunday That her office had conducted an autopsy of Epstein, but she declined to release a determination about the cause of death. According to a city official, uh, the the medical examiner is uh, confident the cause of death is suicide by hanging, but she wants more information from law enforcement before releasing her determination. Senior law enforcement officials... Members of Congress and Epstein's many accusers have all demanded answers about why Epstein was not being more closely monitored. On Sunday, the Bureau of Prisons offered no explanation for why Epstein was left alone and not checked on. And all of this, of course, has unleashed a torrent of conspiracy theories online. With people suggesting without evidence that Epstein was killed to keep him from incriminating others or perhaps more plausibly that he was allowed somehow to kill himself. Over the years, Epstein's social circle had uh, included included dozens of well-known politicians, business executives, academics and other notables, including Donald Trump, former President Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew of Great Britain um, and so on and so forth. He had been on a 24-hour suicide watch after what was seen as that attempt to kill himself three weeks ago. He received daily psychiatric evaluations during that time, according to uh, law enforcement officials. But six days later, six days later, after he tried to kill himself, prison officials determined that he was no longer a threat to his own life, and they put him in a cell in the protective housing unit with another inmate. It is uh, standard procedure at the Metropolitan Correctional Center to place people who have been on suicide watch with a cellmate. But Epstein's cellmate was moved out of the protective housing unit, leaving him alone overnight on Friday and into Saturday morning until his body was discovered, according to prison officials who spoke with The Times. But uh, the Bureau of Prison Officials said that it is standard procedure for guards in protective housing units to check in every half hour, but it remained unclear why that procedure was not followed in Epstein's case. Apparently, he was left alone by himself without a uh, without a cellmate and without anybody checking on him at regular interval intervals, according to Eric Young. He's the president of the National Council of Union Locals that represents the guards at the Metropolitan Correctional Center. He said, I can tell you it is unequivocal that he was in a cell by himself. In Epstein's case, not only did he apparently attempt suicide on July 23, but humiliating information continued to be released to the public through news outlets. In the days that followed, according to a former chief of internal affairs at the U.S. Bureau of Prisons, and that would normally have prompted prison officials to keep him under close surveillance, not remove him from the 24-hour-a-day suicide watch. The uh, former uh, chief of uh, the the, uh, internal affairs for the BOP said why he was taken off suicide watch is beyond me. Well, after that attempt three weeks ago, Epstein was placed uh, on suicide watch. He received daily psychiatric evaluations, but six days later, he was taken off. The Justice Department immediately faced a backlash from elected and, uh, officials and, pu- and the public alike. Republican Senator Ben Sass said in a letter to the DOJ it was inexcusable that Epstein had not been under 24-hour watch. He said the, their, uh, his victims deserve to face their serial abuser in court. Attorney General William Barr said in a statement he was, quote, appalled to learn about Epstein's death in federal custody. That, if you believe anything coming out of Bill Barr's mouth. A facility that uh, he, as the attorney general, is supposed to be overseeing. uh, And an attorney general who is supposed to be overseen by the president of the United States. Apparently, once you're in a suicide watch, you are in a cell that has windows on all sides. And uh, Robert Gangi, an expert on prisons and the former executive director of the Correctional Association of New York, said that it is virtually impossible to kill yourself while on suicide watch. Nonetheless, Epstein was somehow able to do so, and online conspiracy theories quickly took hold, as you might imagine, on Saturday, including some that were retweeted by the President of the United States. That's right, Donald Trump tweeted, uh, retweeted uh, that Epstein's death wasn't a suicide, or it was faked, and that Bill Clinton was somehow behind Epstein's death. Yes, the President of the United States retweeted some guy, a comedian who put out a video blaming the Clintons, the Clinton family for Epstein's death with the text, quote, died of suicide on 24 seven suicide watch. Yeah, right. How does that happen? Hashtag Jeffrey Epstein had information on Bill Clinton and now he's dead. I see hashtag Trump body count trending, but we know who did this. Retweet if you're not surprised. Hashtag Clinton body count. Hashtag Clinton family crime. Retweeted by the President of the United States to his 63 million followers who liked it or retweeted it over 200,000 times to their followers in turn. Trump also retweeted another theory from some guy who calls himself BNL News. And uh, that tweet said, Breaking documents were unsealed yesterday revealing that top Democrats, including Bill Clinton, took private trips to Jeffrey Epstein's pedophilia island. There is no such evidence, at least to my knowledge, that Bill Clinton ever visited Epstein's private island, dubbed Pedophilia Island by some. And yet the president of the United States amplified that tweet on his own Twitter account. Of course, the uh, uh, bill, uh, spokesperson for the, uh, uh, for the Clintons said that uh, he knows nothing about the terrible crimes that Jeffrey Epstein pleaded guilty to in Florida some years ago. He has not spoken to Epstein in well over a decade. Uh, they have already said that he had taken some four trips on, uh, on Epstein's plane. But that, uh, in fact, the Secret Service was there, logged all of these trips on every leg. None of this, of course, kept Trump's senior White House counsel, Kellyanne Conway, from going out and defending these tweets that the president was spreading, uh, suggesting that Jeffrey Epstein was somehow killed by the Clintons. Here is Kellyanne Conway on Sunday on Fox News with Bill Hemmer.
0: I think the president just wants everything to be investigated as you as your reporter just revealed just the day before there was some unsealed information implicating some people very high up and I'm not going to repeat their names you already did that I'm not saying anything beyond that and oh, I really? won't but I think everybody should be at least relieved when an attorney general takes the action swiftly as attorney general barr did yesterday okay and let's, let's yeah, see where he's that disturbed goes by this just, death and, and he's and let's see where it goes it's more, really new this one, all one happened th- within the last 24 understood. to 28 hours understood and we should go slow with this just back on the retweet quickly it's clear what he was trying to say wasn't it i think the president just wants everything to be investigated and you know trying to connect the president to this monster from years ago where they're seen dancing in a video versus other people who were actively, I suppose, flying around with this monster um, on his island, uh, which was known as Pedophilia Island. Perhaps there's a public interest in knowing more about that. Yeah. But, but again, this go is go all further. speculative. Yeah. And it's not for me to go further than where the DOJ and FBI you just are did. right now. But you do hear different people asking questions. And they want to know who else was involved in uh, Epstein's... Crimes, or even just um, activities, and and I guess that that will be revealed in time.
1: Kellyanne Conway is a horrible, horrible human being. Maybe you knew that already. For him to go out, for her to go out and defend that conduct of Donald Trump, is just amazing to me. But I, I should not be amazed by now. For his Trump. Uh, For his part, uh, Trump has uh, acknowledged knowing Epstein, but uh, said, quote, he had a falling out with him a long time ago. It's unclear about what exactly, though Trump in a New York magazine article on Epstein back in 2002 was quoted as saying, I've known Jeff for 15 years, terrific guy, a lot of fun to be with. It's even said he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side now. Uh, You know, I work really hard on this show to not spread around unsubstantiated stuff that could be regarded as, uh, you know, untrue conspiracy theories, even about Donald Trump. But apparently after a man uh, who Trump knew well and is seen on videotape partying with, who, who he called a terrific guy who likes beautiful women as much as I do, including girls on the younger side. After that guy died in, yes, Donald Trump's federal prison and then goes on to claim another president was somehow responsible for murdering this man. Well, there is zero evidence of any such ties to his death by the Clintons or even that Bill Clinton partied with Jeffrey Epstein, to my knowledge, the way Donald Trump did. But you know what there is evidence for? At least legal allegations of that Donald Trump was involved in raping a young girl with Jeffrey Epstein. And I, you know, I, I read this uh, lawsuit back in 2016 when it was first filed by this woman who says she was 13 years old at the time. It was one of the uh, one of the many allegations that was made among a spate of less horrific. Allegations of sexual harassment by Donald Trump in the run-up to his election. There were about 20 such women, as I recall. Something At least. Like that.
3: I think it's 24 now.
1: You know, and I tried not to report, frankly, on any of them unless there was substantive corroborative evidence to go with them because, you know, anyone can make such a claim. Anyone can file such a lawsuit with with such a claim. Though they would be facing serious legal jeopardy if they falsely do so, especially with the very notoriously litigious Donald Trump, who did not sue this woman, as far as I know, despite the horrific claims that she makes in this lawsuit, which was subsequently pulled after the woman was reportedly uh, facing death threats in 2016. So, you know, I I didn't bring it up at the time. I don't even know how I feel about sharing these allegations now, frankly. But if the President of the United States feels it's appropriate to make completely unsubstantiated claims about a former president, essentially calling him both a pedophile and a potential murderer, which is what Trump is doing regarding Bill Clinton, then, yeah, people ought to be looking into this uh, lawsuit that was filed uh, against Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein by a woman who says she was raped by both of them. When she was 13, when Epstein lured her to parties at his apartment by promising money and a modeling career, mind you, this suit was filed before so much of what we have since come to learn about Jeffrey Epstein. And yet, if you look at the details in the lawsuit, it sounds a lot of like what we have you know, since learned about Epstein and the way he operated. It involved uh, Trump in a, quote, savage sexual attack, violently striking the plaintiff in the face with his open hand and screaming that he would do whatever he wanted to her, that he would make her disappear like Maria, a 12 year old girl that uh, that this uh, woman says Trump also forced her to have sexual contact with. Now, the Trump campaign responded at the time uh, by telling the National Enquirer and their buddy David Pecker over there, the quote, the allegations are not only categorically false, but disgusting at the highest level and clearly framed to solicit media attention or perhaps are simply politically motivated. There is absolutely no merit to these allegations, period. That's what Trump told uh, essentially the National Enquirer at the time. So am I irresponsible for mentioning that now? I don't know. Maybe. But between the actual legal suit that you can read online and claims by one of Trump's own former wives that he raped her as well, a claim which Ivana Trump eventually withdrew after she uh, struck a settlement with Donald Trump. And after Jeffrey Epstein died in Donald Trump's federal prison but accused Bill Clinton of having the guy murdered, And after Donald Trump's top lieutenant goes on television and defends those allegations that Donald Trump made and even added to them. Well, I don't know what is responsible or irresponsible anymore. Or what needs to be investigated anymore. I really don't. But in case you didn't know about those allegations, actual allegations against Donald Trump, which may be completely false, who knows? I guess it doesn't matter anymore, right? Well, now you know about them. We will see what comes of it. I guess. Maybe. And Now I need to take a shower. But setting aside all of the conspiracy theories, Trump's and everybody else's, there is one thing that it would be really good if we all took from the death of Jeffrey Epstein. I doubt we will, but it would be good if we did. That is the shameful epidemic of suicides in U.S. prisons, which Andrew Cohen of The Marshall Project joins us to discuss next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com/donate today. That's bradblog.com/donate and thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. There are a lot of people in the days following the reported suicide of Jeffrey Epstein in a federal detention facility in Manhattan over the weekend who regard the death of the high-profile financier with connections to presidents and prime ministers while he was facing sex trafficking charges involving underage girls as completely predictable. Whether due to any number of perceived conspiracy theories for his death, such as the one actually forwarded by Epstein friend turned president of the United States, Donald Trump, over the weekend, or the belief among many average Americans that the highest profile elite never end up ultimately facing real justice for their crimes. While many were appalled and infuriated by Epstein's death over the weekend, it seems few were actually all that surprised by it, in truth. But setting. Perhaps understandable conspiracy theories aside for the moment and the well-supported notion of a separate tier of justice for the wealthy and powerful, Andrew Cohen of the Marshall Project, the award-winning nonpartisan nonprofit news organization which focuses on the U.S. criminal justice system, argues that there is another reason why nobody should really be surprised by Jeffrey Epstein's death. Jailhouse suicides, he notes, have become a quiet epidemic in this country. In a piece filed at New Republic on Sunday, Cohen writes, the reported suicide on Saturday of disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein in a federal jail cell in the heart of Manhattan was both utterly shocking and Completely predictable. It's shocking that the U.S. Bureau of Prisons was unable to keep Epstein alive pending his federal sex trafficking trial and that jail officials, knowing the world was watching this case so closely, allowed his death even after Epstein's apparent failed attempt to take his own life about three weeks ago. That's negligence by definition. Cohen argues whether the celebrity defendant was placed on or taken off of suicide watch. But he adds inmate suicides are such a regular part of life in American prisons and jails that none of us should be surprised whenever they occur. They are, in fact, the leading cause of death behind bars and have been for many years. And the problem seems to be getting worse, he writes. The latest statistics from 2014 tell us the rate of suicides in jails was the highest it's been since at least 2000. This, even though there is more public awareness surrounding the phenomenon and a cry for better records and details about the number of suicides that take place each year. Joining us now to discuss what he describes as an epidemic that corrections officials won't talk about is Andrew Cohen. He's a senior commentary and analysis editor at the Marshall Project, where he describes himself as a recovering attorney who is also a fellow at the Brennan Center for Justice and a contributing editor at The Atlantic. Welcome to the broadcast, Andrew Cohen. Great to be here. So uh, we can uh, get to some specifics about the Jeffrey Epstein situation in a moment, but I want to highlight what you highlighted in your piece at New Republic, because I think it's important and frankly, frankly, uh, somewhat shameful. What type of epidemic are we talking about here? Why is it now happening as you see it? And how long has this been something that prison officials are really unwilling to even discuss?
4: This has been a problem for as long as I've been covering criminal justice, uh, and and so you know you're talking a couple of decades. I started writing about prison suicide, jail suicides, probably around ten years ago, uh, and I certainly wrote a lot about it for the Atlantic five, six, seven years ago,
2: mm-hmm.
4: where it was so bad that uh, at the Bureau of Prisons, for example, that. BOP officials basically sent a memo to all the inmates mm-hmm. that basically said, we know that prison suicides are a problem. We don't want you to kill yourself. We want you, if you're um, feeling despair or you're feeling like you're suicidal, we want you to reach out to the guards, reach out to mental health professionals, reach out to staff, and we'll try to get you some help. And I wrote about the, uh, the case of one man, mm-hmm. a Colorado inmate in, in federal custody, federal confinement, who who did just that, and then got in trouble <laughs> for coming forward and for, I guess, not being sufficiently mentally ill uh, to fit the, the criteria. So this has been a problem. Um, it's a problem in local jails that often don't have the facilities or the budgets available to provide mental health uh, counseling and uh, the sort of monitoring you need for suicidal inmates. And obviously, as we've seen, it's a problem at the federal level, too. Uh The Attorney General, uh, you know, William Barr, with these statements on Monday about that he's shocked and that it's the prison's fault, none of this should have been news to him. Mm. If he's followed congressional testimony for the past decade, if he's read any of the dozens and dozens of news reports that have been written about um, morale at the Bureau of Prisons, about understaffing there, about overtime abuse there, Mm -hmm. about uh, staffers being basically recruited to be guards when they're not really qualified to do that. All of that has been in the public domain, and all of it suggests that um, this may not have been foreseeable. You never think that a high-profile prisoner is going to be able to have the opportunity to do this, but really it isn't that shocking.
1: The, uh, and I want to dig into some of those details you mentioned there, but uh, let me get back for a moment to that that case of uh, Percy Barron, uh, the one who who actually came forward after the BOP said, hey, if you need help, let us know. He came forward... And then he was ignored, you write, he tried to then kill himself, he failed at that, and yep. he was then punished yep. for breaking the rules. Is punishment, rather than help or therapy, that these folks so obviously need, is, is punishment more the way that uh, such attempts are dealt with in U.S. prisons uh, more yes. often than not?
4: Yes, too often. I, wouldn't, I don't know that I want to say more often than not, mm-hmm. but certainly too often, that mental illness is... Um, under, misunderstood mm-hmm. and then punished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have these uh, uh, inmates that I've written about um, who basically descend into madness. The, the more mentally ill they become, the more they act out, right? Mm-hmm. Which is logical.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, and the more they act out, the, the more um, punishment they receive. They're uh, sent to isolated detention or they're sent in solitary confinement, which makes their condition worse. Mm-hmm. When they're out of those uh, confinements, They generally can get better with adequate care and treatment, but they often don't do that. That's a broader issue, right? Mental health in prisons and jails is a broader issue uh, than the one we're talking about with Jeffrey Epstein. There's no indication, at least none that I've read, that he was mentally ill at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, over the weekend, at the time of his reported suicide. Um, But, you know, you never know. Um, There's also, obviously, the question of whether he was on a suicide watch or not
2: mm-hmm.
4: um, you, because uh, whether he was or he wasn 't he should have been you know monitored much more closely than he was
1: yeah, it, obviously it should not have happened, no matter what the circumstances were, uh, but y- you also argue that many uh, cases of uh, well, many cases of, of, of mistreatment of prisoners are, are justifiably often seen through racial and class lenses, uh, even uh, geographic, with you know, some federal prisons in some locations being worse for prisoners than others in various ways. Uh, but you say that this particular trend of suicides in prisons and jails transcends race and geography, uh, and also I guess it transcends um, you know, case profiles where you can have a high-profile case right. like Jeffrey Epstein and, and one that nobody ever heard of. Is that uh, d- something different than what we see when we generally look at problems uh, regarding jails that you know, are more race-based and so forth?
4: Yeah, it, it, that's a great question. I, I mean, I, I think there are some problems that are so systemic that they really do transcend things, uh, and this is one of them. Uh, You know, just in the past couple of days, there's um, really strong reporting out of Georgia Mm -hmm. that uh, chronicles a a growing, spiraling suicide problem in that state's prisons and Mm. jails. We've been following the travails in Alabama, where a federal lawsuit is sort of um, highlighting the problem of suicides in Alabama prisons, which have been notoriously bad. Uh, You know, there are prisons just in, in, in the past, Couple of years, you know. Name name a state, right? right. Ohio, Delaware, um, uh, out west. Uh, you know, so you can't really pigeonhole it and say, well, the South does it worse than the North, or mm-hmm. the West does it worse than the East, or even that the Feds are doing it better than local authorities. I mean, it's a it, it, it's a problem, and it, it and it obviously it stems from the same sorts of of things. Uh, like I said, understaffing. You know, legislatures, including Congress not providing enough money to make sure that prisons are adequately staffed, training, which is just a problem within um, the prison system generally. Um, And I think also, and and I've written about this before, there's also an attitude. There's sort of an indifference to the plight of some of these prisoners by prison officials, by prison guards, even in some cases by prison doctors, uh, who become sort of antagonistic towards some of these inmates and in the end maybe don't protect them as, as, uh, as well as they could. I don't know that that happened to Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, certainly, things move very quickly for him, um, but it, it is a it is a problem, you know, uh, in, in a broader sense.
1: Yeah, you do suggest in your piece that um, in many cases the prison guards, just and and wardens and so forth, just don't seem to care. I mean, don't is care that enough? What's at
4: the, yeah, uh, they, yeah. they they don't care enough to make sure that 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 uh, people who are in custody and control are. Safe. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, they can't. You know, you just can't solve everything. You can't prevent every suicide. You just like you can't prevent every act of violence within a prison. It's mm-hmm. just not feasible.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: But it seems to me that many jurisdictions can do more, and some enlightened officials in some of those jurisdictions even admit that. And they say, listen, if we had the resources, you know, we would be able to adequately monitor some of these people. We would be able to better diagnose mental illness. We would be better able to treat it. We would be able, better able to put people on suicide watch when they warrant it and take them off it when they don't. Uh, and that just isn't happening with enough regularity to save the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who um, become so desperate in confinement that they take their own lives. And
1: is that what we're talking about, hundreds of prisoners a year uh, that, that are, take their lives?
4: It's at, yeah, it's at least at, uh, hundreds and hundreds. I think that the figures from... 2014, which is the last year, I think we're at 300 and, geez, I mm-hmm. 350 to 400, somewhere mm-hmm. in that range, which, you know, isn't a lot when you think about the millions of people who cycle through jails, but which is an awful lot when you think about the fact that, um, you know, prison uh, procedures and practices are designed anyway to prevent all. Uh, suicide
1: yeah no, so, it, it actually um, does seem like a lot given the given the circumstances that it's in i mean where you've got you know people in a confined space with all kinds of cameras and everything else right. it does not seem like it should be that hard right. uh to prevent this from happening is there is there uh you say the epidemic is not necessarily uh as far as you can tell any worse in uh federal prisons versus state prisons and so forth is it uh do we see any difference between private the private prison industry and uh, public prisons, is there any difference there as far as you yeah, can tell? Yeah,
4: that's, that's also a good question. I don't think there's enough data um, mm-hmm. to, to tell us the answer to that. We know that you know, conditions generally are pretty, pretty poor in both public prisons and privately uh, run prisons. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's less accountability in private prisons. There's certainly less transparency when it comes to information. And that's the other point about all of this. Right. I mean, there's a reason why we don't have figures from, say, 2018 or 2017, and that's because local officials, uh, state officials, aren't reporting the deaths, aren't reporting the suicides as quickly as they should, and maybe mm-hmm. as comprehensively as they should. It seems to me that one basic thing that can come out of what happened to Epstein and the, all the attention that's been drawn to it, and will continue to be, is basically some sort of requirement, right? that we at least keep track of the number of people who are dying by their own hand inside these cells, whether they're local uh, jails, Mm -hmm. uh, whether they're state penitentiaries, or certainly the the national prison system. I'm sure there are figures. Uh, I'm sure that some of these figures sort of drip out here and there, but uh, in the same way that we don't really have comprehensive information about police shootings, Mm -hmm. for example, we really don't have nearly enough data that we need on this uh, subject as well. It's
1: information that's either slow-walked or the officials are not necessarily going out of their way to uh, talk yeah. about their own problems, I guess.
4: there's volu- Yeah, and in, yeah. in often cases, there's voluntary compliance. Yeah. You know, they're not required to provide the information. In some cases, there's definitional ambiguities. You know, what is a suicide? Mm-hmm. You know, what is... <laughs> what is... Uh, when is a death of natural causes? Which obviously is the leading cause. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, natural causes. But it, it's... Um, you know, it is a problem. And, and so I think that there, you have subsets of people who reacted to the news over the weekend, right? There are people who uh, are going to uh, provide their own conspiracies. Mm-hmm. There are people who just can't imagine that a, any prisoner inside a federal jail would be, uh, you know, not monitored in, in, to the extent that he or she could take a life. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of people who have been sort of dealing with this for the past, say, decade or two who are like, okay, it's shocking and embarrassing to the federal government that this is allowed to happen, and I'm sure that the Attorney General's anger over it is genuine. I don't blame him for being angry, but the idea that this is unheard of, or the, the idea that this doesn't happen basically every day somewhere in this country is just, just not true.
1: Um. uh, You had mentioned uh, the lack of resources. And of course, in the hours since uh, Epstein's death, there's been a lot of reporting focusing on the fact that the prison that he was being held in was wildly understaffed. Uh, The latest reports suggest there was just two guards in that section overnight. They were both working overtime for for a whole bunch of days in a row uh, doing overtime pay Uh, is is that. A long-time problem for federal prisons, yep. or is this uh, yep. an, or is this another—well, is this made worse, then, let me ask you, Andrew, um, b- by the Trump administration, which has been yep. allowing a <laughs> lot of federal hiring to wither on the vine yep. and and so forth? Uh, who's, I guess who's to blame here, or is this a long-term problem, or both?
4: Yeah, there's plenty of blame to go around. Yes, it's a long-term problem. Yes, it's gotten worse under the Trump administration. I think the Obama administration tried in a few ways. mm mm-hmm. To deal with the issue of mentally ill federal prisoners,
2: mm-hmm.
4: uh, I remember um, there was an initiative to sort of create a unit in Atlanta at, at the st- federal penitentiary in Atlanta. One of them, mm-hmm. um, where you know there would be special care for mentally ill prisoners, for suicidal prisoners, to make sure that they could get care and treatment. The idea was you'd bring them all into one spot and you'd provide adequate, you know, coverage and Gradually, if they recovered, they could be returned to regular penitentiaries. That worked, I guess, for a while. I don't know the status of it because Mm -hmm. information is hard to get. But certainly that kind of stuff um, hasn't been engineered by the Trump administration. Of course, one of the many ironies of the so-called law and order Trump administration, the law and order uh, Justice Department, is that it really has allowed the Bureau of Prisons to be underfunded uh, Mm -hmm. for, for years. The inspector general of the Justice Department for years was warning back during the Obama administration that there was a crisis coming. Uh, part of the reason why the federal government tried to reduce the number of federal inmates is because the Bureau of Prisons couldn't you know, afford to care for all of them. And I think what's happened is the rate of release of federal prisoners hasn't been fast enough, right, to match the rate of reduction in funding or lack of increase in funding mm-hmm. and so you have these sort of chaotic conditions and i don't think they're isolated to that metropolitan correctional uh, facility i think that they exist in other federal uh, uh prisons uh, as well mm-hmm. i mean I, I when i thought of jeffrey epstein i thought of w- w- whitey bulger yeah uh who was killed right yeah. last year or earlier this year yeah. in west virginia in a in a similar sort of circumstance where you just shake your head and say, how could this happen? Mm -hmm. How could this prisoner not be protected in a way? Um, but it turns out that there were major problems, systemic problems at that prison. Uh, and, um, and I can't you know whether that's been resolved or not. I, I I just don't know.
1: And I can't imagine the Trump administration going out of their way to assure there will be more money to make sure that federal prisoners are well taken care of. Right. Somehow that doesn't seem uh, right in the offing. But you also suggest that Congress, over many years, uh, shares some culpability here—that either uh, this issue never comes up during hearings that you uh, watch with you know agents from the Bureau of Prisons, or that the the BOP officials who testify that they simply refuse to discuss details of this epidemic. Why is that? And do you have any expectations that the death of uh, Epstein may somehow serve to change any of that that dynamic moving forward?
4: Well, I, I don't know that it's going to change. I mean, I, I suspect that um, if the Democrats in the House were to have a chance to uh, question Bill Barr mm-hmm. uh, and question the acting director of the Bureau of Prisons. There would be some harsh questions put, but my my sense is that basically uh, there has been this understanding uh, on Capitol Hill that we're sort of you know legislators are going to leave the Bureau of Prisons alone. That it's very much a fiefdom, um, and uh, that uh, it, 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 there is a great deal of secrecy surrounding it. There's a great deal of power with the Correctional uh, Officers Union. Um, I think even Democratic presidents and Democratic administrations have been reluctant to sort of, um, you know, go against the federal prison for concern that it's going to not uh, be popular uh, politically. I think mm-hmm. those concerns are probably less significant now than they might have been 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I think that there's been this uh, understanding that we need to, in some ways, reduce the federal prison population. But, boy, um, the Bureau of Prisons is one of the least accountable and least transparent federal agencies around, mm. and that's saying something.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah that is saying something. It also uh, underscores why it's so important that the Marshall Project stay around and uh, get this, this sort of news out, press these officials uh, in the U.S. criminal justice system who might not otherwise be pressed on this. Uh, just another question or two for you, Andrew Cohen. Uh, you conclude uh, by writing in your uh, piece, Over at New Republic, headlined the completely predictable death of Jeffrey Epstein that the only real conspiracy here is the ageless one between and among prison guards and jail officials who too often treat at-risk inmates with callous disregard and deliberate indifference. Too many guards, you write, just don't care whether a prisoner lives or dies until that changes. Each year, hundreds of men and women, both guilty and the innocent, will die desperate and alone in their cells well uh i believe that is very true though uh i need to ask are you certain there are no other conspiracies related to the death of jeffrey epstein and if so what makes you so certain of that andrew
4: i'm i'm not gonna uh, suggest that there's a conspiracy uh, that somebody killed jeffrey epstein uh there's no evidence of that You know, sometimes the obvious answer is the right answer. Mm -hmm. And to me, the obvious answer is that this pattern in practice within the Bureau of Prisons of failing to secure inmates happened here. Mm -hmm. Uh, It happened here, even though um, the folks who were guarding this man and the officials who were in charge of the folks who were guarding that man should have known that if there was one federal prisoner in in that building that could not commit suicide, it was Jeffrey Epstein. It happened. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's not a conspiracy. To me, that's just part of, uh, you know, uh, the systemic problem. If if this stuff were capable of being fixed, uh, it would have been fixed. If there was a political will to fix it, it would have been fixed. And none of that stuff has yet happened. And again, I'm just not sure with the certain the sort of the, the circumstances uh, these days, with the environment these days, certainly with the administration and the head of the Justice Department, that there's going to be um, much systemic reform. I think that Maybe there's going to be a scapegoat. Uh, maybe there's going to be changes in this facility. There may even be some changes at the, at the, you know, sort of global level at the Bureau of Prisons. Surely it needs it. But um, like you say, uh, I, I don't think ultimately federal inmates are going to end up being treated better uh, uh, during the Trump administration. Well,
1: all I can say, Andrews, you do not have to be. Apparently, you do not have to be concerned about uh, forwarding any conspiracy theories anymore. That is being done by the president of the United States. So apparently, that is perfectly fine to do to spread irresponsible uh, conspiracies. Uh, last question: Do you have? Do you, do you actually have confidence that Trump's Fixer and Attorney General here, Bill Barr will assure a legitimate investigation, and that the public will actually learn the full details of that uh, of that probe this time. Unlike, of course, what he did with the uh, Robert Mueller special counsel investigation.
4: Well, I, I think it's an easier. This is an easier uh, um, scenario. I, I think it, so much is going to depend on the coroner report, right? The medical examiner mm-hmm. report. If that report. Um, conclusively shows that this was a suicide, then really how the suicide came about, you know, the, 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 how, what guard didn't do, what the guard was supposed to do, and so on, it will be, you know, I think, less significant to the, to the overarching story. I mean, once you have a finding of suicide, uh, you know, uh, that helps explain what happened. Obviously, there are going to be some people who will never accept that finding. Mm-hmm. There are people on my Twitter feed today who are you know, convinced that, 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 you know, that there's this guy is now in Argentina or somewhere, you know, and um, that, those people are never going to be satisfied, which is a sad commentary on the state of things, but it is what it is. I, I think that um, a lot depends on what this, this the medical examiner finds, whether the uh, conclusions are transparent, whether people who are independent can evaluate them as well. Obviously, the um, lawyers for Epstein... Have uh, brought in their own private person, and it 's a little alarming that this is somebody connected to the O.J. Simpson case mm-hmm. um, to, to sort of a private um, uh, medical examiner mm-hmm. to be there for the autopsy. My hope is that there's agreement between the experts on what happened, and, and that's going to really guide, I think, the narrative going forward, um, at least among people who are you know willing to look at the evidence and, and, and
2: sort of follow it.
1: I'm sure this will all go very smoothly moving forward. There will be no bumps in the road. We'll exactly. have this all figured out in uh, in a matter of hours. Andrew Cohen, uh, you can follow him on the Twitters at just a d Cohen. He is the uh, senior editor at The Marshall Project, which you can find at themarshallproject.org. And uh, he's a fellow at the Brennan Center, contributing editor at The Atlantic, and has a a new piece out at The New Republic, newrepublic.com. We'll link to that when we post the show at bradblog.com tonight. Andrew Cohen, really appreciate you joining us uh, today. I've uh, wanted to talk to you for a long time. Hope you don't mind if we bother you again in the future.
4: No, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you for uh, giving me the time, and uh, hopefully we can talk about something a little cheerier next time.
1: I doubt it. But thanks anyway, (laughs) Andrew. All the best. Sure. Take care. Okay, we have got to get out. Yes. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thank you, Des. Yes. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us as well. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is thanks to those of you who support our work by stopping by bradblog.com/ donate. one-time donations and regular automated recurring monthly donations of any amount you like or are all appreciated. You can drop me email if you like. I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I am the Bradblog. We will see you there until we see you again right here. Next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.